Good morning. My name is John Crawford. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm excited to be with you guys today. Uh, Real quick before we dive in, one really important quick announcement. Uh, The slide is on the screen. Uh, If you are new here or you're looking to get connected into the life of our church at Redemption Tempe, if you're looking to get connected into community, we have a class called DNA. It's on the screen here. Uh, Next Sunday, it's during our 9 a.m. service. So usually what people do is uh, come to DNA during the 9 a.m. It goes from 9 a.m. to 10.30 and then come directly to our 11 a.m. service afterwards. It's a one-week class uh, that... I lead along with uh, one of the other pastors here, Will Vakurovich, and so we would love to have you join us next week. The link is on that screen. You can sign up. Um, You will learn who we are at Redemption Tempe, what we're doing as a church, and then how you guys can get directly connected into community, and so I'd love to see you there. All right, so question that I have for you. What do Tim Tebow, In-N-Out Burger, and a bumper sticker have in common? Whoa, someone's good. Who said that? Raise your hand. John 3.16. All right. Got the punchline right there. John 3.16. That is correct. John 3.16. See, Tim Tebow painted John 3.16 under his eyes a number of years ago. And after he did that, there were over 94 million Google searches of John 3.16. For a number of years, it was actually the most Googled thing in our country. But not only were there 94 million Google searches, there's also millions of In-N-Out Burger cups every year that have John 3.16 on the bottom of the cup. And there's probably millions of bumper stickers as well. See, we know this verse, John 3.16, right? It's, it's the low-hanging fruit. I've talked to non-Christians who can even paraphrase the verse. We know John 3.16 in America, but do we actually know it? Right? There's a difference between knowing what something says in our minds, knowing something, and actually knowing it and having it penetrate the depths of our heart. Those are two different things. And so what I want to suggest is because we're so familiar with John 3.16 in America, we need to defamiliarize ourselves with this verse. It's similar to when I drive through my neighborhood on the way to work. I take the same route every single day, and I'm so familiar with my neighborhood and this route that I drive that I kind of check out, right? I'm on autopilot. I don't actually pay attention to what's going on in my neighborhood, that I can be in my neighborhood but actually miss the reality of what's happening on my very own street. But there's a difference between when I drive through my neighborhood and when I walk in my neighborhood. That when we go on a family walk and we take our kids, we walk slowly. We have to stop because one of them fell on their scooter or one of them's lagging way far behind. I have three boys, so, you know, there's usually distance on a walk from the oldest to the youngest. And what happens when we stop is we look around. We begin to actually see and notice what is taking place in our neighborhood. See, this is what we need to do with John 3.16 because so often we drive right through this verse, we gloss over it, and we miss the magnitude and power of God's love. And so this morning, this is what we're going to see. This is what you're going to see. We're going to look at John 3.16 through 21, and you're going to see that God loves you, 
And he wants to save you and not condemn you. And so before we dive in, would you pray? Spirit of God, we ask that you would speak this morning. That you would stand in my body and that my words would be your words. That you would speak clearly to us. Lord, that you'd move in power, that you would convict us of sin, that you would draw us to yourself, that we would see the beauty of your love and our need for you and the beauty of the life that you give. Jesus, we thank you. We ask that you'd move in this place. It's in your name. Amen. So we're picking up John 3.16 here. Uh, You probably don't even need a Bible for this verse because I just told you how we all know it. So it could be a little Bible trivia. But John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the first thing we see is that this is the Richter scale. John 3.16 is the Richter scale for love because it reveals the magnitude of God's love for the world to us. It says, for God so loved the world that he acted that he did something, that he gave, and he gave his son because he loved the world. See, God initiates something. He does something. He acts in human history on behalf of the world for the sake of the world. He doesn't give his son to a world that loves him first. He doesn't give his son to a world that is looking for him, that's crying out for him to save them. That's not the world that Jesus comes to. That's not the world that God gives his son to, and that's not the world that John speaks of in the Gospel of John either. See, in the Gospel of John, the world represents something. It represents evil, and it represents wickedness. That the world in John is evil and it's wicked. It is not characterized by beautiful sunsets, grassy meadows with flowers and butterflies. That's not the world in John's gospel. And it also wouldn't require much sacrifice to love a world like that at all. See, the reality is the world that God loves, the world that God has sent his son into is a world that hates him. It's a world that's hostile to him. And yet... He gives his son to this world. See, we're very familiar with the, with the phrase, actions speak louder than words. We've heard, don't just give me lip service, do something. Don't just say you love me, show me you love me, right? That's exactly what God does. God doesn't just say, I love you. He does something. He acts. He demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he comes for us. He pursues us. See, this is why this verse is the Richter scale for God's love. See, what a Richter scale does is it measures the magnitude of an earthquake. It tells us how big the earthquake is, how powerful the earthquake is, and John 3.16 does that with God's love. It tells us the depth of God's love, the length of God's love, and the width of God's love. See, so we have to ask here, for God so loved the world, well, how deep is his love? See, the depth of his love is that he sent Jesus The depth of his love is that he loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. He gave his only son for the sake of the world. 
And he sent his son away from his home in heaven, in the comforts of heaven, to come to earth, to put on flesh, to dwell among us, and to move into a different neighborhood, to move into our neighborhood. See, I know from being a father that I have three boys, that I don't love anything deep enough to give away one of my boys for. There's nothing in this world that I would ever give one of my sons away for. But yet God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he was willing to send his son on a rescue mission for the sake of redeeming the world, for the sake of bringing us life and bringing us to him. But also we see the length of his love to the extent in which God would go because this God gave his son, this giving language is not just sending language, right? He sent his son, yes, but the giving language here of God gave his son is actually sacrificial language that he gave for the purpose of the cross, for the purpose of lifting up his son on the cross so that his son would be condemned so that those who believe would never have to be condemned. See, the cross is the ultimate expression of love. If you want to know how much God loves us, look at the cross. He shows the length, the extent in which he would go to, how much he loves. This is how far I will go. I'll go to the cross so that I can redeem and restore the people that I love. We also see the width. See, it's interesting. Jake preached an amazing sermon last week on this conversation with Nicodemus. But this passage here that we're looking at is actually a continuation of that conversation. The conversation hasn't ended. This is part two today. And so Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And if you remember from last week, Nicodemus is this powerful Jewish religious leader. That he's very familiar with Judaism that he's very familiar with Israel and what Israel would have believed. And here's the thing. The people of Israel knew that God loved them. There was never a question for Israel whether God loved them or not. They knew that they were God's chosen people. They knew that God had set his love on them. What they question is, does he love other people? And what Jesus is doing now with Nicodemus is he's blowing his mind. He's literally saying, hey, Nicodemus, the width of God's love is way more expansive than just Israel. It's not just restricted to one people group. God's love is not just for one race. God's love is not just for one nation. His love is for the world, that it encompasses all of the world. And what that means is that his love is not just for people who love him. What it means is that his love is not just for the good people. What it means is that his love is for the unlovable. It's for the unlovely. It's for the lonely, and it's for the abandoned. It's for both the betrayed and the betrayer, and it's for those who hate him. But more than that, it is absolutely for those who love him, and guess what that means for us sitting here today? His love is for you. That God loves you. And I want you to sit for a second and think about that. Because I'm convinced, even for myself, I don't think about God loving me, the very person that he created. We talk about the world, the world, the world, but we make up the world that he loves you as if you're the only one to love. And here's what that means. There's two types of people sitting in this room today. 
And there's two types of people watching the live stream that need to hear this. And the first person is the too far gone. The person that would say, hey, I know that God loves the world, but I'm too far gone. You don't know the things that I've done. See, the problem is, if this is what you've believed, you magnify your own sin while minimizing the sin of other people, thinking that somehow they're less sinful and more deserving of God's love than you are. See, what you need to know, if that's how you're feeling, if you feel like you're too far gone, you need to know that God loves you because he loves you, and he loves you in a way where nothing that you do or have done will ever change his love for you. What this means is God's love is unconditional, but in the truest sense of the term, meaning that there are no strings attached, there are no conditions attached to his love, he loves you. But it also means his love is unchangeable, meaning that his love cannot be lost and it cannot be gained. So you may be thinking that the things you've done are too dirty for God to now accept you and love you, but what you need to hear is that there is nothing too dirty that the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse. Amen? See, a few years ago, there was uh, an older gentleman sitting here in this sanctuary. It was towards the end of a service, he began to weep uncontrollably. So much so that it caught my attention and I went to go uh, assist the man to, to hear what was going on, why he was so emotional. I could tell that he was moved. I heard his story and, and I was able to pray with him. See, he had heard the good news of Jesus preached and he wanted to respond. He knew that he was guilty of sin and wanted to receive Jesus. But as I talked to him, he said, but John, you don't understand. You don't know the things I've done. I'm too far gone for God to love me and accept me. For God to love me and forgive me, I'm too far gone. See, and if that resonates with you this morning, what you need to know is that that is a lie from the depths of hell that that is a lie from the depths of hell, and the reason why you believe that is because that is exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Satan is real, he's the father of lies and the great deceiver, and there's nothing that he wants to do more than to try to keep you from God's love and keep you from the life that Jesus provides. Don't believe that lie. See, but there's a second type of person who's here this morning in this room or watching, and that's the judgmental. See, and the judgmental actually does the opposite thing, and you think that other people are actually too far gone. That you think that other people are somehow outside of the bounds of God's love, and God's love is now restricted from them. See, the problem is, if this is you, you minimize your own sin while magnifying the sin of others. See, and when we do this, we're guilty of this when we begin to think that certain types of people are somehow unredeemable, that certain types of people couldn't actually ever be truly a follower of Jesus. We see it right now in our political realm, right? The number of times that I've heard in this last year, people on the left and people on the right, 
The left saying, well, if the right believes this, then they truly can't be a follower of Jesus. And the right saying the same thing about the left. If the left believes this, they truly can't be a follower of Jesus. But more than that, we also do it with certain people. That maybe there's some sort of cultural stigma attached to certain types of people, and we now view these people unredeemable, outside of God's love. And maybe it's folks who have been convicted of some sort of crime. Maybe it's convicted of a felony. Maybe it's people who are wrestling with their sexuality and their gender. Maybe it's someone who's so far from God, they're, they're antagonistic, right? The staunch atheist where we think that that person's just unredeemable. But the problem is when we land here, we limit God. We all of a sudden think that God doesn't surprise us, but God is the God who surprises us, and we forget his very nature and character, that he is the God who is abounding in love, that he's slow to anger, that he's gracious, that this is the God who surprises us, and we forget his character. See, if this is where you land, and if you find yourself being judgmental, let us be reminded of Hebrews chapter 11. If you're unfamiliar, Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the by faith chapter of the Bible, which is known as kind of the hall of faith, where those who have gone before us, who have faithfully followed Jesus, God now commends them for their faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And guess who we find on this list who are commended for their faith? We find a prostitute. We find an adulterer and we find a murderer. No one is outside of the bounds of God's love. Eternal life is available to everyone. Let's continue and see what Jesus says here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Next thing we see is that you need to unlock the door. Unlock the door because Jesus came to bring life. You don't have to be condemned. See, throughout John's gospel, the reason why people are condemned is because of unbelief. And the way that people are saved from condemnation is through belief. See, unbelief condemns, but Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring eternal life. But when we hear eternal life, that confuses us. Like, what does eternal life mean? Does this mean that we just have a never-ending existence? Because I don't know that I really want that, right? Life's hard. I don't know if I want to live forever. See, there is a component of eternal life, yes, meaning when Jesus returns to bring heaven to earth, we will live with him in his kingdom forever. But eternal life is not just talking about the quantity of how long we will live, but the quality of life for the here and now. Eternal life is referring to the abundant life of God's kingdom that is available in Jesus, and it doesn't just kick in once we die, it is available today for you. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but we're very familiar with condemnation because we live in a culture of condemnation. We see it in our workplaces. We see it on social media and in the media. We see it in politics, in pop culture. 
See, because of this culture of condemnation, many times we're actually paralyzed by fear of being condemned for something we've said or something we've done. But the good news about God is that's not how he operates. God is not out to cancel you. God is not out to condemn you. He is out to save you and bring you life, to restore you. And so he invites you to believe and receive. See, here's the thing. God does not want to condemn you, but God's love does not coerce. God does not force you into loving him. He initiates, he pursues, he's on a mission to redeem us and restore us, and he wants to save us, yes, but we have to receive his love by willing belief. See, if you don't believe, you choose death instead of life. You choose to live in the absence of love instead of the presence of it. When I was 21, if you want to know how old I am, that was the year 2006. Um, I lived alone. So before I was married, I was living the bachelor life, and I had my own apartment. I was sick and went to the doctor. The doctor said, hey, you need some antibiotics. This will heal you. Take some amoxicillin. You should be good in a few days. So I went home, did what a typical bachelor that's 21 does. I ordered a pizza, ate the pizza, <clears throat> and I took the first pill of amoxicillin. I'd taken plenty of penicillin in my life before, but I took the first pill of amoxicillin. Within 10 minutes, my flesh literally began to feel like it was melting off. It was burning from the inside out like I had never felt. I was itching, I was burning, I was freaking out because I've never had an allergic reaction, but guess what? I was having an anaphylactic reaction. And I looked down and my, my skin, I'm, I'm really pale and so I usually have a kind of a pink tint anyway, so I'm used to seeing pink. I looked down but I'm as red as a stop sign. And so I rush into my bathroom and I look at my face because I can tell I'm starting to swell and I, I look like a bulldog, I kid you not. And my face is as red as a stop sign as well. And very shortly, within the matter of two minutes, I can feel that my throat is being constrained that my throat is swelling shut and I'm actually beginning the process of suffocating. And so I do the only thing I knew how to do, call 911, right? That's what you do, right? Call 911. So I called 911. The female operator picked up. I said, I'm having an allergic reaction. My throat's swelling shut. By this time, my voice is starting to crack. I'm losing my voice because of the swelling. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, okay. The fire department's on their way. Luckily, I live close to a fire station. But she said, I need you to do two things. Stay calm and go unlock the door. She said, you need to go unlock the door because rescue is coming and if you want to willingly accept the rescue and be saved, you need to unlock the door. And so I went and I unlock the door as I'm starting to be in and out of consciousness at this time, I'm within moments of suffocating, literally within a minute or two of suffocating, I unlock the door and I wait. 
See, I had to unlock the door because the fire department was coming. If I didn't unlock the door, I couldn't have received the IV with the medicine that was needed to save my life. I needed to unlock the door. See, Jesus has come into the world to rescue, to save life and give life, and he is the only medicine for sin. Will you unlock the door and receive the medicine of Jesus so that you can live? But Jesus says here in verse 18, he says that uh, some people are condemned already. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, refusal to believe is what condemns. And Jesus says that some people have willingly placed themselves under condemnation. See, when I had this reaction, I was literally suffocating. By the time the ambulance took me to the hospital, they said, you had less than two minutes left to live. My pulse, heart rate had dropped in and out of consciousness. See, I was condemned to death because of that anaphylactic reaction. And if you refuse to unlock the door, you will be condemned as well. And so Jesus invites you, unlock the door. Let's see what else Jesus says here in verse 19. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The last thing we see this morning is that Jesus invites you to come out of the cave. Come out of the cave. Don't live in the darkness. Come to the light. Jesus says here that people have loved the darkness rather than loving the light. And what we see here is there's a battle for your affections. There's a battle for your loves. Once again, it's not about what you know. We all know John 3.16, but it's do we really know it? It's a battle for our loves. See, Jesus says that it's evident that people love the darkness, well, how is it evident? He says here, he says, based on what they do, that their works are evil. What we do reveals what we love. So the question for us this morning is, what does your life reveal about what you love? Because this passage is a warning that condemnation will come for those who love the dark and reject the light. See, throughout John's gospel, there's this juxtaposition between light and darkness. We saw it in John chapter 1, and we see it here again, that light and darkness are always in conflict with each other. See, the light always chases away the darkness. It always banishes the darkness because the light is far more powerful than the darkness. See, the good news about Jesus is that the light of new creation has broken in into our world through Jesus. It shines brightly. It shines to infinity. But it is possible to shut the light out and live life in the cave. See, even though the light is here, we can still create areas of darkness and live in the shadows. See, some people have chosen to live in the cave and are living life in the cave when Jesus has invited us to enjoy the sunshine at the beach. 
and people have chosen the cave. Pertaining to this, C.S. Lewis has written a famous book called The Weight of Glory, and he says this. It'll be on the screen. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. People live life in the cave because they're far too easily pleased. And they settle for sin instead of the abundant life that Jesus gives. If God doesn't look, if God in his, the, his kingdom, the life that he brings, if he doesn't look desirable, if he doesn't look lovely, if he doesn't look appealing to you, then you are far too easily pleased. Maybe it's because the war of your affections, your love and your heart is entangled in sin. Maybe for some of you here this morning who are followers of Jesus, you've been walking with Jesus, but there's been something in your life. Maybe it's this season of sadness with COVID. There's been something in your life that has made you drift away from him. And you begin living in the shadows. It could be habitual sin that you can't seem to shake and you keep wondering, why do I keep doing things that I don't want to do? Or maybe it's you're pursuing other things. It might be that you're asking questions about God and his goodness with everything going on in the world and you become disillusioned with God, but you're living in the shadows instead of the light. See, if that's you and you've wandered from Jesus this morning, he's inviting you to return and come into the light. But see, maybe you're here and maybe you're watching this morning and you've never received Jesus. That you're not a Christian by your own words and, and you're here or you're watching because somebody invited you or you're curious or you're asking questions about life with everything going on and you've been living in the cave. And you've been living in the darkness and, and you're tired of it. Jesus is inviting you to come out of the cave this morning. He's inviting you to come into the light, to believe in him and to receive him and the eternal life that he gives. See, what we need to know is that choosing life in the cave is what condemns us. See, if you find yourself in the end being condemned, it's not because you weren't good enough. It's because you wanted life on your own terms and you didn't want God. That's what brings condemnation. But Jesus goes on here and, and wraps up. He says that those who do wicked things hate the light because they don't want the things they do to be exposed, their works to be exposed. See, those who live in the cave become light averse because they've spent so much time in the cave that the light actually begins to hurt their eyes. And so they say, I don't want my sin to be exposed. But the problem is we don't realize why the light exposes our sin. See, what we fail to realize is if light doesn't expose our sin and we continue to live in the cave, shame festers in the cave. Shame perpetuates the darkness and shame doesn't come from God, but it actually makes you retract further into the cave. See, the problem is we don't realize why Jesus 
shines his light to expose sin. It is for one purpose. It is for the purpose of healing. In the same way, when you break a bone and you go get an x-ray, the x-ray reveals where the brokenness is so that you can be healed and restored. Jesus exposes sin because he knows that sin is a terminal illness that there is no cure for except for him. And he says, I have the cure. I am the medicine. I'm exposing this because we are all dying apart from Jesus and perishing. But he makes a way and says, there's a cure for this terminal illness. You can be healed. You can be restored. I want you to experience life the way I intended. Amen? Amen. See, this is possible because Jesus went to the cross. That he came, God gave his son on the cross. And he was condemned for sin so that those who believe will never be condemned. See, as Jesus died, he was buried and he experienced the darkness of the cave. But he didn't stay in the darkness. On the third day, he rose victoriously and he overcame and overthrew the powers of darkness. See, it is through him that we have life. It is through Jesus that we are freed. It is through Jesus that we are healed. And Jesus is inviting you today to experience the magnitude of his love and eternal life. And so it's only fitting that we close by taking communion. The communion elements are on the seat. And so if you would grab those. And at this time, I'm going to invite the band back up here. And they'll begin playing music. See, it's fitting that we close with communion. Because everything that we just talked about, everything that is revealed in these verses, is exemplified in these elements. That the bread represents... Christ's body that was freely given for us. And the little cup of juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. That he experienced condemnation on the cross for sin so that for those who believe, we would never experience condemnation. That he enables us through his body given and his blood shed to experience life eternal life that is not just for after we die, but it's the abundant life being tethered to Jesus in union with him that only happens through his body and blood. And so at this time, I want to invite you to eat and drink of the elements. As the band begins to play, we're going to play a few songs, and I want to invite you to sing in response to God, but we also have a team of people who are praying, pastors that are going to be over here in this hallway for some privacy, pastors in our prayer team. This passage demands a response, that there's an invitation that Jesus is extending, and we want to be here for you, and we want to pray with you. See, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, if you feel something tugging on your heart even this morning that maybe the Spirit of God is doing something, I want to encourage you not to ignore that, but to respond. And during these songs, we we want you to come and receive prayer. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. 
Let's see, for those who have maybe wandered in this season and Jesus is inviting you to come back into the light, we want to pray with you and come receive prayer regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you've done. Or maybe you just need to receive prayer because there's things going on in life. You need someone to pray over circumstances or situations or there's some really heavy stuff. We want to pray with you. And so I want to invite you as we sing to come receive prayer. And I'm going to close our time in prayer now.